Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. My name is Rachel. I'm the Director of Communications here at Area 10. And in the summer of 2019, Zach, my husband, and I came to a very important decision as a family. We had been putting it off for a long time, um, saying that we weren't ready, you know, but at this point, we had two steady full-time jobs, a small, albeit tiny apartment, and we came to terms and decided to move forward. And I remember the day really clearly. It was August 16th, 2019. It was a stormy day. There were like storm clouds looming off in the horizon. And Zach and I both had the day off. So we decided to go to the store, you know, just to look. And um, as soon as we got a shopping cart, I knew that like something was about to happen. And by the time we left the store, we had it full of clothes, not clothes, we had blankets and toys and food. And the momentum of the moment was building. So we were driving up Heritage Road road in Richmond, and I was looking at the website on my phone, Zach was driving, and we took a right into the parking lot, and like, this is where it's getting real, my hands are getting sweaty, I don't know what's going to happen, and we walk through those big double doors and up to the counter to an adoption counselor, and we tell them, another human being, for the very first time, that we're ready. And that is the day that we met Benedict, a seven-week-old, scrappy, short-haired, ginger, tabby kitten. My mom might kill me for the way I told that story. Um, But the funny thing about this process is at the beginning of the day, we had no idea that this kitten even existed. And by the end of the day, he was a fully-fledged member of our family. And nothing about the kitten itself physically changed, but suddenly he had a new purpose. He was a part of our family. And you might think that the only reason that I'm telling you this slightly ridiculous story is so that I have an opportunity to show a large group of people pictures of my cat. And I will certainly, obviously, take advantage of that opportunity, but it's not the point of the story. I'm telling you this story because it gives us a picture, a snapshot of a gospel concept, these things that can sometimes feel really lofty and hard to understand, and it brings it down to earth, and it brings it to a place where we can say, yeah, I I think I actually get that. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking as a faith community about what it means to go off track on purpose, and that we've seen examples of how God calls us to go off the track of the normal nine-to-five American dream that a lot of us might be pursuing, and to get deeper and get messier and find something more fulfilling. And we've been looking at breaking out of the tide of this American culture. And and today we're going to continue to look down that road less traveled and consider something that we rarely think of as a part of our day-to-day lives. And that's the concept of holiness. Holiness is a word that we simply do not use outside of the church, right? Unless, like, we're saying holy and then, like, followed by a curse word. Um, But human beings are usually pretty smart, and we figure out the context and what words mean from different examples. But this word, we don't have a lot of context or framework for. So what does this word mean? 
I actually want to take a minute and I want you to pull out your phone and the notes app or even go really retro old school, find some pencil and paper and write down what you think the word holiness means. We're going to take a second. It doesn't have to be a long definition. It doesn't have to be submitted to Merriam-Webster. You're not going to get graded. No, you don't have to show it to anybody else. It can just be one or two words that you associate with the word holiness. I'm going to wait. Are you doing it? (laughs) Okay. So maybe you have it written down, but you have a guess in your mind. Um, But let's dig into what the Bible says. The, The Bible gives us two different root languages that we can look at. The Old Testament is primarily written in Hebrew, and the New Testament is primarily written in Greek. And there's a tool that a lot of Bible scholars use called a concordance, where you can look up any word, and it'll tell you how many times that word is used in the, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, and then where you can find it, and, and then Bible scholars use that context to interpret what the word means. So in Hebrew, we have the word kadesh, and it appears over 300 times in the New Testament, or Old Testament, and then we have the Greek word hagios, which appears over 219 times, which is pretty incredible because the New Testament is a lot smaller than the Old Testament. So the fact that the word is used that often is, is showing you it's not just the Old Testament that's concerned about God's holiness, it's the New Testament too. But fortunately, these words are used pretty consistently in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we use that context to figure out what it means. And they tell us that another word that you could use to translate holiness would be apartness, or separateness, or set apart. And I'm pretty confident that's probably not the words that you chose to write down. Um, So let's look at that, a few examples of that context, of those 500 plus examples. Um, First, holiness is a word that God uses to describe himself, and it's what other beings or humans use to worship him as a descriptive word. Uh, We can see in Isaiah 6-3 that there's a vision that Isaiah has of these angels, and they're all surrounding God, and they're proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And in the New Testament, there's actually an almost identical scene that appears in Revelation where there's these great beasts that have wings and they're repeating, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the interesting thing here to me is that they keep repeating this word. Why not just say, holy is the Lord? We see in the Bible that when we repeat things over and over again, it's the biblical author trying to point us and say, like, look here, this is really, really important. The Lord God is not just holy. He is the epitome of holy. He is holy, holy, holy. But the word holy also describes an assortment of objects. You might think of stories of Moses and the burning bush, where the physical ground where Moses is standing is consecrated and called holy, so Moses has to take off his shoes. Or uh, the land that God selects for his people to move into, the promised land, or what we call now the holy land. Or the word that describes him, his scriptures, is his holy word. Or surprisingly, sometimes... It describes ordinary, messed up, imperfect people that follow him. So we can see that holiness is a descriptive term of an everlasting God who is worthy of our praise, but then somehow also describes these normal day-to-day objects. 
And to quote Mark Moore from our Core 52 book that we've been reading, holiness happens when God takes ordinary objects and claims them for his purpose. God takes ordinary objects and claims them for his purpose. And I'm going to be honest, this is not something that I ever really thought about or considered before. The word holy to me meant something like super religious or spiritual or pure or maybe even perfect. And maybe that's one of the words that you wrote down. But that feels like a really hard, unattainable goal. And it's not something that I feel like always applies to me in my life. But Mark Moore is right. He continues to say that equating holiness with religious purity is a bit misleading. The word holy doesn't primarily designate sacred as much as selected. And I kind of created a helpful chart that can help us figure out what we typically think of as holiness contrasted with what the Bible actually says is true. So it doesn't primarily mean sacred. It does mean selected. It also doesn't primarily mean that my nature changes who I am, but that my purpose changes. And it doesn't mean that I have to perform perfectly all the time. What it does mean is that God proclaims that I am righteous. Because holiness is received. It's not something that's achieved. Holiness is received, not achieved. So let's go back to my cat. And not just because I have a lot of really cute pictures of my cat, because you guys know that I do, but because I think it's a surprisingly good example of how this concept plays out in real life. Much like my story about Benedict, not anything about the physical or physiological thing changed when it was given a status update, except that now he's set apart. He's designated to be a part of our family. And in the half hour that we sat in the Richmond SPCA and tried to decide if we were going to take this cat home with us, Benedict didn't do anything particularly special. Now, he is a kitten, so he's really cute, and he, he ran around, and he played with a toy, but he didn't do anything in that 30 minutes that would earn him a lifetime of free kibble, a warm place to sleep every night, and a family that would love him for all of his furry days. He got all of that because we chose him. It's the only reason. And we get all of the benefits of being set apart by God, not because we were special, or because we earned it, or because we proved that we were worthy, but simply because he chose us. So I want you to remember that. I want you to write it down or take a picture, just burn it into your mind that holiness is something that is received, not achieved. And maybe that's something that you've never heard before, and maybe that's interesting, but you don't know how that actually changes things for you, right? What does that even mean? First and foremost, it means that we can stop pretending like anything that we do has anything to do with earning God's favor. We've got to get the order of operations here right. Do you remember order of operations from school? Maybe you blocked it out. It was kind of a nasty memory for me, but it's, it's a tricky thing in math where you've got to do the math in the right order. If you get something backwards, um, then you're going to end up with a completely wrong answer, not just like a little bit off. It's going to be a totally different number. And that's actually what we're in danger of doing. If we get this order of operations wrong, we're going to end up in the wrong place. We're not going to get the right answer. So when we come into a relationship with God, it's not because of anything that we have done. It's not. It's because of what God has already done for us. Romans 5.8 says that for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have got to remember that the reason that we come to church, that we sing songs of praise, that we attend Area 10 University classes, that we join a small group, that we serve on any team is not because we're trying to fill up our heavenly pros and cons list with a lot more pros so that when we get to heaven, St. Peter has no choice but to let us through those pearly gates. That's not how this system works. When we get the order backwards, we end up attempting to earn God's grace rather than letting that grace simply transform us. While we were still broken, motivated by fear, incapable of working ourselves out of the muck and the mire of our own lives, without anything to offer in return, Christ laid down his life so that we could approach our Heavenly Father as holy, as set apart for his purpose. And while we were still struggling to forgive our ex, while we were still addicted to porn, while we were still burning people down in our anger, while we were still going to entertainment or food to comfort us, while we considered leaving our spouse, while we considered committing suicide, while we were still pretending like we clearly heard God's voice, while we were really just pretending for the people around us. God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul writes to Timothy that God saves us and calls us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. What I want you to notice here is that God saved us and called us to a holy calling. God didn't stop by sending Jesus. He now calls us to something greater, a holy calling. And that understanding changes how we respond to our gut reaction. It changes what motivates us. And until we grasp the unconditional love of God, that is when we start to, we're motivated to align our actions with God's declarations and our lives begin to represent the nature of God who set us apart. This, this summer, my husband and I went on an Area 10 Summer of Fun event tubing down the James River. And it is a long story for another time. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, but at some point along this journey, this seven-hour journey, uh, my husband and I realized that we kept kind of getting separated and bumping around different rocks. So if we held hands, we were able to kind of navigate the river rocks together. At one point, we're cruising along, having a great time, and then there's this giant rock that's looming in front of us. And it seems pretty obvious that the water is going over here, and it's going over there. And Zach's float wants to go this way, and mine wants to go that way. So I let go of his hand, and I kind of bump off the rock really gently and go down a nice little waterfall, and I turn around, and I'm waiting for Zach to come out the other side. But he's not. Right? Yeah, so nothing happens. <laughs> so I called out his name, and the water is actually louder than I realized it was, and, and I'm not hearing anything in response. He might be responding, but I'm not hearing it. 
And so I wiggle my way out of my tube, and I try to stand up in the water. It's not very deep, but the rocks are really, really slippery, and um, I've got this giant tube around me. And so I try to walk, waddle my way back up the stream. And at all this time, I'm calling, listening for a response. And at this point, my heart rate is really starting to pick up. So I'm going to take off my tube and set it on a rock that's over here, and I'm going to physically try and climb or crawl with my hands and knees up this giant mountain of a rock. And at this point, I am desperately trying not to imagine my husband drowning on the other side. And after what feels like an eternity, his head pops up, right? He's fine. When he stands up, his, his head is actually taller than this rock that felt like a mountain. And he's working his way back over to me. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're okay. And he doesn't respond. I said, are you okay? I thought you were hurt. I'm fine. No expression whatsoever. I said, what's wrong? I, I really don't understand what's wrong. You let go. I what? You let go of my hand. I did. I let go of his hand. I thought in that moment that the best way around this big rock was to let go. And it ended up getting him in a situation that was really hard for him to get out of. It was like a little whirlpool eddy type situation. And that's kind of what happens in our culture. In general, it's like the James River. It's a slow and steady force. It pushes objects down. It makes it hard for them to quite literally go against the flow. And the longer you're in it, the less you notice the temperature or the rate at which you're floating or the force of the current. And the river seemed calm, and we were having a good time. It wasn't, until, it wasn't until something went not to plan, and I had to stand up and try to move against the force of the current that I realized how slippery the rocks were and how dangerous that current could be. And worse yet, I had let go of something that was keeping me safe because I thought I had a better idea. And I lost my lifeline to one of the most important things in my life. Our world has the same underlying current to it, and we've been in it for so long that it's just easier to let go and let it happen. When the world says that the only way to get ahead is to rely on your own strength, and that believing in a God just proves that you're weak, it can be easy to go along with that. When the world says that money is king and if you're not successful at your job, then you're obviously not successful at all, it can be easy to believe those lies. And when the world says that it's normal and natural to have uncommitted sex, it can be simple to just go with the flow and let that happen. When the world focuses on the next shiny new thing like an iPad or a, a new brewery opening town or a a new fad diet or a superhero movie, any of these things, it can be so easy to take our eyes off of Jesus and focus somewhere, anywhere else. Paul was a prolific church planner, evangelist, and letter writer, and he put it plainly to a church in Rome. And I think this is one of the few examples that we can use in the Bible where we can pretend like this was actually written directly to us. You can't do this all the time, but I want you to, to read it as if Paul was writing it to you. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's not necessarily how I would write this. And so if you will allow me to paraphrase in the spirit of the original text, this is what I feel like Paul would be saying to us. I'm asking you, Area 10 faith community, to present your whole lives as an ongoing sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is worship. Don't go with the flow of the world any longer, but let your mind be transformed so that you follow after God's will for your life, the best possible route. And I'm going to be honest that I think Mark Moore, this chapter on holiness, he just really hits it out of the ballpark. If you haven't been reading along in Core 52 with us, um, I would encourage you that you can stop by the Next Steps table on your way out, or you can email info at area10church.com and get your hands on a copy. But this, um, this schedule that we have been following has really shown up in surprising ways. For example, the week that we, uh, the entire world basically shut down because of a pandemic, um, that week the word we were studying was on overwhelming worry. And the week that race riots broke out in Richmond and and our city was being torn apart over the idea of monuments, the idea for that following week was unity. So even if you haven't picked up this book before or you did pick it up at the beginning of the year and you've really fallen off, each week is a different different topic and you can jump in at any point in time. I really encourage you to read this this week's um, chapter on holiness. And he says, I have one more Mark Moore quote because they're so good. When we wrestle with holiness, it's not because we really believe that the world, what the world has to offer is better. It's because we don't believe that either the presence or the proclamation of God is a reality. That's tough. Because we know this world is broken. We feel that in our bones. Anytime that a friend betrays us or another black man or woman is murdered on camera and their killers walk free or stories of enslaved children or human trafficking are brought to light, this greed, the corruption, the lack of accountability, the lack of boundaries, we know that the the path this world wants us to walk down, that leads to suffering and death. And we have got to stand up in this river. We've got to get ourselves back on the right path. And we might slip and we might bang up our knees. We might accidentally let go of something that's really important in the face of fear. But we must fight against the current of our world to get to where we know we need to go. If we truly believe that Christ died for our sins and rose again to give us new life, then of course our life is going to look different than the world around us. If the central tenet of our faith is true, then of course we have a different perspective from our friends and families and coworkers who don't believe. 
Of course, the things that we do or that we don't do or that we stand up for or we stand up against are not always going to make sense to them. And of course, that is not easy. But we make sacrifices. We take risks. We go off track on purpose to follow after God on a wild adventure that calls us to go deeper and get messy and live life to the fullest. We are holy and set apart for a new purpose. We do all of these things because we know God's ways are better ways. And that by following after his will for our life, we have the opportunity to experience the greatest joy that we can experience here on earth and eternity. So what does it look like for you this week to live into holiness? And I recognize that that is probably not a question that you are asked very often. So maybe a better question right off the bat is to ask, why did God set us apart? to alter our purpose, right? That's what we'd be saying. But what purpose? What is the purpose of life, the universe, and everything? And for those of you that are my people in the room, you're probably thinking 42. But no, that's not where we're going. God's purpose for our lives comes from the lips of his son speaking to his disciples. And Topher read this last week, but it's a really good one, so we're going to read it again. Then Jesus told his disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Follow me, Jesus said. It's so simple, but it all starts right there. Being holy, set apart, means that we don't follow the path of this world. We follow after Jesus wherever that leads us. And for you this week, that might mean, for the first time, opening up the lines of communication and just having a real, honest conversation with God. It's been a long time since you've done that, but you just need to tell God where you're at right now and even how you feel about him. For you this week, it might mean that you're going to put behind you all of the past failed attempts at a a quiet time or reading your Bible. That discouragement, you're just going to let that go, and you're going to open up God's holy word and look for what he's trying to teach you. Maybe you've got the prayer and scripture thing down, awesome, but maybe you're still holding on to a really deep resentment, to someone that legitimately hurt you. And you know that God is calling you to heal from that, to forgive, and to move on to better things. Maybe for you this week, leaning into your holiness means that you say no to another night of binge-watching Netflix or binge-drinking or binge-eating Chinese takeout food or all three of them combined, and you do something honestly productive with your time, something that doesn't fill you with regret, but something that you can be proud of. Whatever your vice is, whatever is putting up a wall between you and God, holiness means actively tearing down that wall and starting over again. And we do all of these things because God chose us and because God's election of us deserves our best representation of him. 
When we follow Jesus, we actively make different decisions that the rest of the world might not consider normal. And we know that even if our coworkers and our family and our friends don't fully understand, we know this is us getting back on track. We are set apart and declared holy by the sacrifice of Christ's blood for our sins. And because of that sacrifice, God can now dwell within our hearts and give us a day-to-day compass guide on this journey that we're on. Where once God's chosen people had to approach him through the veil of a tabernacle or a temple, God now chooses to dwell within us and enter our very souls. Jen Rose Yokel says, God's presence, his dwelling, is no longer a place out there that we have to reach. It's not an exclusive club or a far-off mountaintop. It is awe-inspiring, maybe even terrifying, and it is as close as skin and bone. It defies our human boundaries and looks like a parade of misfits who are grateful for a seat at the table. It is safety and warmth and family. All are welcome, and there is always room for more. Always a space to come in from the chaos and rest in the hope that all just might be well. If you've never made the decision to follow after Jesus, I want you to consider this an open invitation. If you know that the world is broken and you're ready to start on a new path to pursue holiness, then we invite you. You can, you can go up to the Next Steps table at the end of the service and talk to someone, or you can go to ariatonchurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card and mark, I have decided to follow Jesus. Whatever path you choose to take, someone will follow up with you this week and we'll talk about your next steps, whether that means for you getting baptized or just getting back on the right track after you've been on another path, wandering away for a while. At the tail end of the Bible, the book of, the Re- of Revelation gives us a snapshot of what it will look like if we truly lean into our holiness. This is a picture of the ultimate destiny of the church, and it's recorded in Revelation 20. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. That's us. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. When we pursue after a holy God, making sacrifices in the here and now for his glory and namesake, we are rewarded with an eternity to bask in his goodness, to celebrate together. And we no longer have to fear death. For for us, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The angels... They're already singing this chorus of holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And they're already singing that because it's already true. But I, for one, I want to join in that chorus. And I hope you'll join me. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this opportunity to come and speak. Thank you for this message. Um, 
I pray that you would give us the ears to hear it and that we would look for ways that your love transforms us into holy people set apart for your purpose. I don't know where that leads each one of us, but I pray that we're, we're looking into our hearts and, and that we're finding the places where we've built walls, the way, places where vices have gotten in the way of focusing on you. And I pray that we do the work to pull those walls down, that we open up our hearts and have an honest, genuine conversation with you, that we look in your scriptures for what you're trying to teach us, that we can truly learn what holiness is and that it will change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.